Hello and welcome to Future Fundamentals, the podcast direct from the Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank's International Private Bank that takes a long-term look at investment challenges. And today we're looking at how nature-based solutions to environmental problems can and should get economists and ESG experts excited. It's an area where Deutsche Bank is taking the lead. Towards the end of last year at COP26 in Glasgow, Deutsche Bank launched an Ocean Resilience Philanthropy Fund with the aim of improving ocean conservation and coastal resilience. They're planning on funding a variety of projects and it hasn't taken them long to find the first initiative to support, the Future Climate Coral Bank, a research project in the Maldives led by the Maldives Coral Institute. So in the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be finding out what that project does and why an organisation like Deutsche Bank thinks it's worth spending treasure and time supporting it. You implement a, a, a reforestation project or you restore a seagrass bed or you try and restore a coral reef. Those are all projects that will benefit local people, but added together across the world, they, they add up to something which has an impact at the global scale. The systemic value of nature must become an integral part of policy decision, be it on business level or be it also on governmental level. We need to factor this in to our decision making. So let's dive right in with two people perfectly placed to help us. Marcus Muller is the global head of the Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank International Private Bank. As an economist, he focuses on social and economic transformations and what we can learn from them about environmental, social and governance factors, or ESG, as it's called. And Callum Roberts is Chief Scientific Advisor to the Maldives Coral Institute and Professor of Marine Conservation at the University of Essex. Welcome to both of you. Callum, perhaps I could uh, start with you, seeing as this is your, your project, so to speak. Do you want to just explain to us what the Future Climate Coral Bank is and what you do? Anybody who has been lucky enough to see a tropical coral reef will know what an extraordinary ecosystem this is. It's a, a really rich, vibrant uh, uh, rim of life that surrounds tropical coasts. The Maldives is home to one of the great coral provinces of the world. These ecosystems have built great reefs over thousands of years, but uh, they're running into trouble now. Uh, we are finding that coral reefs are among the most threatened of all ecosystems by global change, human-driven global change. This is really threatening the future, not just of uh, a, a beautiful uh, uh, habitat, which we love to go diving on, but it underpins the livelihoods uh, and even the entire countries in tropical regions like the Maldives. The, the Maldives were built by coral reefs. So their future hangs in the balance and we need to try and find ways to future-proof coral reefs to, to make them thrive under the different conditions that will exist 100 years from now. How do you do that? Well, uh, the, the, the key thing is that we need to find corals that are able to cope with the conditions that we expect to be uh, generally existing at the end of this century. So it will be warmer for one thing, uh, the sea will be slightly more acidic uh, for another thing. And, and so the corals must be capable of standing higher temperatures and thriving at those temperatures. If we don't find them, 
then coral reefs will die. And there are some fairly dire predictions out there that we could lose pretty much all coral by the end of the 21st century if we don't uh, succeed in this quest. And at an ecological level, that would be catastrophic, right? It would. I, I mean, purely because of the, the loss of all of that incredible richness would be just like the equivalent of losing all the world's rainforests. Uh, the world would be a worse place without coral reefs. But from a very human perspective, the people who live and depend on these, these coral reefs would lose their places that they live. They, they would lose their entire countries in the case of places like the Maldives, which are island nations in the middle of the ocean. And Marcus, uh, th- this is a, a problem which I think some, you know, quite a lot of people would be at least aware of, if in general, if not in not if not in the specifics. But why, for someone like you and a bank like Deutsche Bank, is this such a such an interesting area to be involved in? So it has multiple angles, and one one angle is the coastal protection on the one side, and also then the distinction between artificial man-made defense mechanism versus nature-based solutions. So we can, of course, build breakwater, but we know that an artificial built breakwater is far more costly than a nature-based breakwater like coral reefs. So we know it from the Maldives that one meter breakwater built out of concrete can cost roughly between 6,000 and 7,000 US dollars per meter. Coral reefs um, are less expensive, something around 50 US dollar. Mangroves is something similar, which is even cheaper. And those solutions, nature-based solutions, do provide something more than just protection. They provide or have a very nice effect, positive effect also on human well-being. And they are a ground for food and also for economic systems like tourism, which we should not really ignore and forget here that local communities are highly dependent on income derived out of this. So this is one part. And the other part is if we think about climate change, we need solution to mitigate climate change. We need a massive and rapid decarbonization by our industry. But on the other side, nature-based solution can contribute significantly also to, to this sequestration, to this absorption um, from, from CO2. And it is predicted by, um, by scientists and pub- recently published by the IUCN that within the next year, so up to 2030, um, at least per annum, five gigaton CO2 could be absorbed by nature-based solutions. And in the following decade, so from 2030 to 2050, it could be at least 10 um, gigatons per annum up to 18 gigatons per annum. And the current emission of the entire world per annum is 36 gigatons per annum. So you see that the nature-based solution contribution to this decarbonization can be vast. And, and this is an important tool. Callum, you know, do you think about your, your what you do as a sort of nature-based solution in a broader sense? Or are you just very focused on your specific role of, of finding solutions to the coral situation in the Maldives? I think nature-based solutions are always local. Uh, you know, you implement a, a reforestation project or you restore a seagrass bed or you 
try and restore a coral reef. Those are all projects that will benefit local people, but added together across the world, they, they add up to something which has an impact at the global scale. Uh, and we need benefits at both levels uh, to, to get us out of the hole that we're in right now. At one level, you could talk about this in terms of that our job is to preserve, is to, to not make things worse. But is it that? Or is it more an opportunity to actually say that this is the future, this is the, this is the, the way to think about economic and ecological growth in the future? Guy, if I think about point one, so the preservation and conservation, then it is very evident that we would need roughly per annum 300 to 400 billion US dollar each year, according to recent studies from the WWF, to preserve nature. The current funding is around 50 billion. So it's a fraction of what we need. So this is number one, just to keep a decent degree of status quo. But if I think about socioeconomic development, then um, nature-based solutions and the incorporation of nature-based solutions in our economic and social economic activity is a rather innovative approach. Reinventing and maybe rediscovering things which are always have been there, which mankind maybe just have been ignoring during the last decades or centuries and revitalizing them and understanding while doing this that society and economy is embedded in nature. So we, we need now to think about um, this in a way that nature can't be separated from, from economy. And we know that the ecosystem services, so which nature produces every year, has a value of roughly 125 trillion US dollar a year. This is eight times the European Union GDP. And I think this in sum shows, shows me and shows us that there, there is really a fundament for innovation. We just have to embrace this innovation. But before we work with this further, we need to preserve and, and reinvigorate the stock of nature, which we then can work together with to fight the challenges we face. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it, it's it's absolutely true, right? That uh, you know, the best way of uh, of getting investment into something is offer someone a return and make it clear that there's a good return for it. And there, you don't you don't need a lot of governmental money or state money if uh, if you can per per persuade the private sector to do it. But but can we per persuade the pr private sector to do it? I mean, Callum, uh, you know, when. When, uh, when when Marcus is talking about the you know, the being an opportunity for a return here, what is that? Well, one of the things which people are interested in is is whether it's possible to uh, offset carbon emissions, for example. Um, so there are some companies uh, that are industries that are uh, unable to meaningfully decarbonize uh, because they are extremely dependent on fossil fuels and, and they will be for the foreseeable future. But uh, in that case, one of the things that you can do is to invest in the development of nature-based solutions which take up carbon from the atmosphere, which trap it away, which lock it out of harm's way. And so there's, a, there's kind of a quid pro quo here. Uh, and you can monetize that as an investment, so companies can invest in these um, these carbon offsets. It, it's controversial because uh, 
you know, there's a, a risk that companies will just carry on with business as usual rather than reducing the emissions uh, per, per unit of uh, activity that they undertake uh, and, and simply claim that they're doing the job of getting rid of the carbon by planting trees, for example, or, or restoring coral reefs. But, but I think there is a role for this kind of offsetting uh, in our future economy. The ecosystem services I already have mentioned, this is already a return. And this return is derived out, out of the natural stock we have. And what we, what we now need to understand better as society is, again, or we need to remind us about the difference between value and price. And if we just use the return without protecting the stock, we maybe will harm the stock. And this means at the end that we don't will have any more the return. So therefore, it's so important to preserve the stock that we also can then appreciate further and use the return of nature. Unfortunately, humanity has already destroyed a huge part of this stock, which is so much needed for our well-being. And therefore, this restoration, this reinvigoration of the stock is needed, then the preservation of the stock is needed, that we then can also appreciate further the return which can be derived out of this. But this needs new mechanism. This yeah. also needs new understanding, new accounting methods, natural-based accounting. This needs standards, global standards with, with local activity and so on. So I think this is a huge opportunity in the context of development, what we already have briefly talked or touched on. Um, we, we need to get it right. But therefore, we also have to build on a little bit ocean literacy. We have to educate people more about this topic, what it means, because not everyone um, is resided as a coastal area, right? So many, many people living in cities which are not really close to the coast, although the seven or eight biggest cities are resided as coastlines. And also for those cities, it is important that they protect their shorelines and coastlines as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, people uh, use the words natural capital left, right and centre the whole time. But if you don't have some sort of unified way of measuring the value of that capital, it's very hard to employ it as, a, as capital, if you like. Yes, absolutely. And, and this is now really something um, where we as financial industry, but as economists together with, with the scientists have to work on and have to understand this more in detail um, because the nature of capital, so the systemic value of nature must become an integral part of policy decision, be it on business level or be it also on governmental level. We need to factor this in, the systemic effect of nature, into our decision making. Callum, I'm interested in, in one particular uh, a challenge, if you like. Uh, you talked about local solutions. Uh, Marcus has mentioned that, but also need, a need for sort of global understanding and global agreement. Uh, how does that all fit together, do you think? Well, I, I think we need to have um, community involvement, on the one hand, in putting together local nature-based solutions which will benefit local people. Uh, and... You know, for example, restored ecosystems can deliver immediate benefits in the form of better local water quality, uh, just as one instance. 
But at the global scale, we need policy frameworks which are going to facilitate all of these local initiatives to thrive. We need in investment in uh, supporting nature-based solutions. It's not uh, free of cost. What we do know, though, is that the uh, return on those investments in protecting nature uh, are something like 10 times greater than um, the, the cost of fixing the problems if we don't. So it's in our interests, both economically and, and for all the, the, the reasons that Marcus mentioned about how nature provides for our well-being and uh, you know, spiritual, uh, aesthetic, economic, um, uh, it, it feeds us. Nature is, is there for us and has been throughout human history. It's only now that we are reaching the limits of what the planet can support and we have to pay close attention to nature and to what it needs to thrive uh, and what we need to do to restore it where it has been lost so that not just ourselves but future generations will benefit from that uh, uh, more sustainable planet. It, it does feel like there's a sort of uh, interesting dichotomy here between the the urgency of action and and what that action is. It, particularly in your case, you know, I I've seen videos of, of of what what your project is is doing, which is taking very small amounts of coral uh, and and sort of growing them in a laboratory situation. But that growth happens really slowly. You, do you know what I mean about the sort of there's a difference between the urgency at one end and the long termness of the solution at the other. There is, and, and I think one of the things that the Future Climate Coral Bank is very aware of is that uh, we are looking at a problem which has been very difficult to solve. The, the best minds in the world are uh, turning their attention to how to restore and, and uh, embed resilience in coral ecosystems for the future. We don't have easy solutions as yet. Corals grow slowly. We need to to try and accelerate that as much as we can. They're very sensitive to um, the, the warming of the planet. Uh, we need to find uh, varieties of coral, strains of coral, different species that are better able to cope with those higher temperatures. That's hard. It will be a process of years to get there. Uh, but hopefully we will find some solutions that will, will help to keep countries like the Maldives in business long into the future. And Marcus, is that an issue? Do you think on on your side of the uh, of the equation, if you like, the, the you know that we we are talking about the if you in economic terms you'd talk about patient capital, wouldn't you? You know that you need a lot of patient capital here. Yes and no. So on the one side, it is clear that um, what has been destroyed over decades and year uh, and a long time can't be restored immediately, right? Um, I think this, this is an inevitable truth and it's very brutal, but it's honest. On the other side, um, what we now see on the ground with Calum Together, but also in other activities, this gives an opportunity for better understanding of what we are doing here. And secondly, this gives also the opportunity of um, creating new jobs, creating new innovation and, and delivering really something um, which is new. And, and this together makes me really um, happy and gives me a, a brighter outlook and not a grim outlook um, of, of what we have in front of us. On the other side, we have to stay realistic. 
the repercussions out of the planetary triple crisis means degradation of, of the nature, so as particular biodiversity and ocean, climate change and also the pollution, it will affect us. But now it's time for, hum for mankind, for society to understand that defense is not the way of uh, tackling it. It is rather the question of adaptation and nature-based solution and the support of nature-based solutions is one of these ways to adapt to a new reality. And this bears a chance and, and really something new in it. Callum, I don't know whether you know Marcus well, but if you do, you'll know that he's an optimist, uh, generally. Uh, what about you? I'm German, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, what about you, Callum? Are you, do you share uh, Marcus's optimism? I, I do share uh, the optimism because I think, you know, we are working very hard. We are making progress. It's, it's not fast enough. Uh, but uh, it is progress. The world would be a better place for our investments in this kind of science and these nature-based solutions now in a hundred years from now. And if we weren't to try right now, we would never know if we could have saved these ecosystems, if we could have saved countries by acting in a timely way. And so this project is really important to, to make that uh, commitment to future generations to try and uh, solve the problems of today to, to save them a world of woe in the future. And maybe if I may add to this, um, Callum and, and, and Guy, so when I went to COP26 to Glasgow, I, I have been asked by a colleague, what is your wish for uh, COP26? And then I said, we should have asked, what should we have done at COP26? So this nice um, tool via the grammar of language, um, the, this, this future tool, um, helps us really to guide, guide our way into the future. And I think this is exactly what Callum just have said, that if we wouldn't try, we wouldn't know what we would have done better differently. So therefore, this is really the right way for exploring um, something new, which really can protect us against um, a more grim future. And that sounds like a perfect way to conclude our conversation. Thank you both very much for your time today on this subject. Uh, keep up the good work, uh, Callum. Thank you for your for your contribution and, and for your work on, uh, on the Maldives coral reefs. If all that's done is whet your appetite for more information, you'll find plenty to get your teeth into at deutscherwealth.com. Please feel free to go there. That's it for this episode of Future Fundamentals. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast may be considered marketing material. Prospective donors should seek tax advice from their own tax advisors and or lawyers. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Deutsche Bank. The services described in this podcast are provided by Deutsche Bank AG or by its subsidiaries and or affiliates in accordance with appropriate local legislation and regulation. Deutsche Bank AG is subject to comprehensive supervision by the European Central Bank, ECB, by Germany's Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, BaFin, and by Germany's Central Bank, Deutsche Bundesbank.
Brokerage services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor which conducts investment banking and securities activities in the United States. Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated is a member of FINRA, NYSE and SIPC. Lending and banking services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Trust Company Americas, member FDIC and other members of the Deutsche Bank Group. The products, services, information and or materials referred to within this podcast may not be available for residents of certain jurisdictions. Copyright 2022 Deutsche Bank AG and or its subsidiaries. All rights reserved. This podcast may not be used, reproduced, copied or modified without the written consent of Deutsche Bank AG.